dear readers, if you hear my voice sounding crazy, it's because I went to a piano bar last night and sang. No brags. I sang no brags. I sing really fun songs. I'm a little hungover, um, but I really needed to release it. And then I also wanted to just say, if you want to join Patreon. February is a great month to join because we just released an episode where I talk about me potentially getting ghosted. And if you want to know the full details, join Patreon. I think everyone hopes that when a guy doesn't get in touch with them, he dies. But I don't I don't I'm know how often that's hot the take. case. I actually don't want anyone to die if they're ghosting. <laughs> All I want is him to be a coward because then I can just be really mad at him. Well, if he doesn't get in touch with you, that's I got news for you, babe. Your wish came true because that's a coward. Coward. Yeah, it's very confusing. And I don't Um, mean Noel Coward for all you theater (laughs) nerds out there. For all you farce fans. (laughs) You know, you know us at Truly Darkly Creepy. We just love a farce. (laughs) (laughs) My life is a farce. I feel like my life is a door farce in many ways. And speaking of which, I had therapy last night. God, I haven't had therapy for like two months. Mm -hmm. And that session was like catching her up on like holiday drama, life drama, this ghosting situation drama. I feel like I was like, listen, buckle in. I got a lot to talk to you about. How'd she do? She was crying by the end. She was laughing. She was like, I don't know if that's professional. Don't Because I kept making weird faces and she was laughing. You see her um, on Zoom or I'm, what? I see her on Zoom. Yeah. Which, you know what? Here's the thing. I started seeing a therapist IRL back in 2015 or 20, 2015 maybe? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Or 26. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or 2016. I mean, that's a great time to see a therapist. We need it all. We all needed collective therapy in 2016. So, like, I've st- I saw her in real life, and then COVID happened, and we did Zoom calls. And because I have an existing relationship with her, I actually really like um, Zoom calls because I feel like I don't want need to just, you know, teach someone, teach a new dog new tricks about my life. It feels oh like we have a nice shorthand where she's able to, like, we get each other. That's She so gets nice. me, really. Um, Matt, yeah. Matt shopped for a therapist for all of one session, and he was like, that didn't work. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think it's like dating. And it's, like, funny because I think he just, um, and I feel this way, too, a little bit. It's hard to master the energy to find the right therapist. You know, I was really lucky. I went to a place in New York called the Washington Square Institute, and I don't think they exist. But in New York, there's this really cool thing where it's a matchmaking service, essentially. So I paid for like a session and they asked me these generic questions of like sort of like an intake survey. And then they brought that information to their group of like learning, practicing therapists and it's a sliding scale based on your income and so I answered all these questions and then they matched me up to a therapist a therapist either chose my folder or they assi- like I don't know exactly the 
selection process. Mm -hmm. But that's how I connected with her. And I think I was so desperate for therapy and I was so ready for one that I, I, and I never had that experience before. So I just was like, this is great. This works for me. Let's go. And it's been like five years of working with her. Quite a relationship. Yeah, it is. I mean, I guess I've never really thought of that, to be honest, of it being that significant of a relationship, but it really is. I mean, she's, you know, there's times, you know, part of, you know, as I really want her to like me, which is deeply flawed and something I should talk about in therapy. But what I find really interesting is she holds her boundaries really nicely, Mm -hmm. generous boundaries, but she still holds boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed talking to her, um, understanding her boundaries. It feels really safe. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, oh, that's the other thing is sometimes I'm like, Maybe I'll massage my truth or whatever because I want her to like me. And there's moments where I'm like, no, I don't mean that. This is what I mean. And I'll, like, correct myself and I'll say things that are unfavorable to me because I'm like, you know what? This is the transparent relationship between client and therapist. Anyway. Um, it's very interesting. We were watching um, The Shrink Next Door. And so that's what I think about when you say, like, boundaries and stuff because that's obviously such a crazy story about a therapist like abusing their privilege and um not having boundaries where they should um it's very funny though because i have a friend that is in therapy and went to a therapy appointment that is given at the therapist's home uh okay which a lot of therapists in new york especially have home offices right um right the therapist had forgotten their appointment and was not there and the therapist and my friend were on the phone and my friend was like oh my god well i traveled from brooklyn this is like was kind of like grouchy about it right um obviously and the therapist was like you know what just ask my doorman to let you in we'll zoom but my friend went into his therapist's home without the therapist there to use the Ooh. computer to zoom on. And the mm-hmm. therapist who was gone was able to be on a computer and zooming with them. But it meant that my friend was alone without any supervision in their therapist's home. I am so not a snoop. But if you are inclined to snoop, that is a recipe for disaster. I, I couldn't believe that he to didn't. Me is... I couldn't believe he didn't. I I would never. I'd be so afraid there were cameras. Like I am not a snoop. That is something. Yeah, you'd be like, are you I... testing me? <laughs> yeah, like I mean, I. Uh, that's really tough. Oh, what? I don't think I. No, Mm-mm. he didn't do well, anything. So funny, of like, course. And he even I... said he was like, "Whoa, this seems crazy." And he was like, and the therapist said, "Well, I wouldn't necessarily do this with any of my patients, but like, totally, I, I trust you." Um. It's like, oh, my God, that's nuts. (laughs) That's wild. You know? I think my therapist would trust me in that. I don't think she would still do it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I think that boundary is, like, I remember being like, I really want you to come see my show. And she's like, "Mm -hmm." I spoke to my supervisor, and we don't think it's a good idea to blur that line and for me to see your show. Great. Which I think is, like, a really... I really wanted her because I would listen if I ever I would love to be her friend but I one do, day. Yeah, but, but that's like, just it. I think that's but it's, it. It's she's like, not my nope. friend. She's my therapist. Yeah. And ne- I think that like, should meet. 
They exactly. shall sometimes, but they should not. I mean, I would like, there was part of me because she used to live in Brooklyn. And I remember being like, ooh, maybe I'll like see her at a bar or like, you know, what that looks like. I mean, I, part of me in the pandemic, I probably talked about this on the podcast, um, but in the pandemic, you know, as an actor, specifically live theater, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys know, the pandemic has affected that industry. And so I was debating, you know, what does school look like again? Or is there another, you know, is there something I want to pursue outside of the arts? And the thing that's been f- compelling to me is getting my master's in social work and becoming a licensed therapist, right, for private th- private therapy. If I became a therapist and any of my clients searched my name, that they would find that I've done Sex in the City, that I have this podcast, they could listen to it. And I was like, could I, is it ethical as a therapist to get, to make like a professional name that's wrong? Maybe I like, that's the only, if I get married, I don't know if I'm going to take anyone's name, but maybe in therapy it will be. That'll be the I'll take I their name just have, in therapy. I think it's so fair in an internet age to want a professional name versus a personal name. Yeah. I just can't imagine, oh, like, if I had clients. We should have done fake scary names for the show. Like, the way, like, Radio <gasps> Rental does what with, what's fake, it, Terry, yeah. <laughs> Terry Carnation? Like, <laughs> I would be like, I would be like, Elmira Slines. <laughs> What would you be? I would be um, glass-eyed Lois. I would be. You know what? I probably would be. I'd probably be more Tisha Gomez. That's already <laughs> taken. Okay, I'd be more Tisha Wednesday. <laughs> You'd be. I'd be Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be Carrie. Okay. I'd be my Pence Is what I would be, and no <laughs> was, one would be able to I find was me. That episode yesterday again weeping weeping all over again i don't know why that gets me it's very embarrassing like how much it gets me um matt was in the room and he was like really i pee my pants has you crying for a second time and i'm like i can't not cry about this i don't know why what's what's shocking to me is i i can't believe it's taken us that long to for me to make that joke to you <laughs> we don't and have that many like, jokes. I, How come we didn't get we to don't it have sooner? <laughs> um, you know what? Now's probably a good By the time way, to to say that you introduced the show. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. By the way, you're listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. I'm Quinlan Posner, <laughs> and I'm Carrie Ipema, or as I call her, K Ray Apima Apima Pants. Apima Pants. <laughs> <laughs> the other the other thing that's good is my name always autocorrects to something else. So last night I was putting my name in in someone's phone and Carrie Ipema turned into Mary Superman. <laughs> that's a pretty good name. Maybe that should be your podcasting name. Mary that Superman is good. Mary Superman. There was also sometimes it goes Mary Iceman. <laughs> Ooh. Mary Iceman sounds like a little bit more chilling. If I may. I'm chilled to the bone just just hearing you say it. Somebody Ooh. get me a comforter. Because I'm Chilean sea bass. <laughs> well, I'm going to just say one more time. If you want to hear the full story of my ghosting, go to Patreon. That's all I'll say. Not only now, that, but if you oh. want to support 
If you would oh, yeah. like to support um, a podcast that is this podcast, that is these two people saying these things in your ears right now. If you're like, you know what? I don't want these <laughs> girls to get discouraged. I don't want them to stop doing this or feel like I don't care about them. I want them to know that I appreciate them making the time every week to get together, to record, to edit that shit, to do some very <laughs> mediocre research. I want them to do it again next week. There's a great way to tell us that that's how you feel. And that is to help us to make the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber. Patreon. Um, and now we're for our sponsors. Do I want to exercise every day? Yes. Do I? No. Do I want to eat a healthy meal every day? Yes. Do I? No. Would it be helpful if somebody emailed me every morning recipes and exercises I can do at home? Yes. That's why I'm here to talk to you about Movement and Meals. It's a newsletter that is delivered to your inbox every morning that says, hey, here's a recipe. Here's a way to move your body. And you do it. What's really cool about it, too, is if you sign up for this newsletter on Saturdays, they send you a shopping list for what you need for the upcoming week. So it's like mindless. You just can have healthy meals, do exercises without having to think about it. So you can try this for two weeks for free at movementandmeals.substack.com. And after the two-week trial, it's just seven bucks a month. That's it. It's like 35 cents a day for somebody else to just make all those decisions for you, which let's be honest, that's what we want. We want someone to tell us what to do so that we don't have to use that part of our brain. So sign up for Movement and Meals for free for two weeks at movementandmeals.substack.com and let, let's outsource someone controlling that part of our life, right? I could use that. Could you? Again, movementandmeals.substack.com. Get your life right. We know why you're here. You love a true crime. You love a true crime moment. And if you've listened to all of our episodes and you're like, ugh, I still need more true crime, then you should go to Eastern Crime Zone, another true crime podcast with host Cassie Malay. She's from Atlanta. She's an armchair detective. And she wants to take you through real true crime cases. So you'll hear some cases you're familiar with. You'll hear some cases you're not familiar with. Either way, you're probably going to hear some new information. Oh my God, the recent story, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it involves a lover who's been hiding in an attic for 20 years. If you want to know more, go listen to Eastern Crime Zone wherever you hear podcasts and get down with your true crime cell. Hey. Um, you go first I'm, today. It is true. I do go first, and I'm actually really excited about this story. Oh, good. Then I'm I actually excited. got this story oh. from a Patreon subscriber, the one and only Birgit, who was who found the podcast, reached out to me. She's a friend of mine, and she gave me this case, and it's fucking fascinating. Okay, I got this information from CNN, Wikipedia, BBC, The News Minute. It takes place in Kerala, India. It's 2018. Um, Suraj Kumar um, and Uthra, they go through a matchmaker to meet one another. I guess this is pretty common in India where they go through a matchmaker to sort of like fix up two people. Don't I mean, I'm trying to get Quinn to matchmake me. She's undecided or her her stock is frankly too low of available men. And every time and Carrie asks me to do it, instead of doing it, I just sing matchmaker matchmaker make me a match 
Find me, find me a fine. Catch me, catch me. That's the darkest song. It's like, have you ever heard that song? They're like, please just don't Um, let him hit me. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, my bar is so low. I understand it. I hear them and I identify. No, I think there's a great documentary about the making of Fiddler on the Roof. And that song is actually like this like feminist moment at the time of the musical because it's these women wanting control of their own lives or like, you know, there's like something kind of. But yes, it is dark. They don't want someone to beat them, which is, again, it's a tall order. So Uthra has some learning differences um, and her family wants someone to take care of her. That's part of their MO in this matchmaking situation. She's one of these people that loves to see the good in everyone. She seems like a really kind, loving person. So she's 23. Suraj is 27 years old and he's a bank clerk. Um, But he doesn't come from a very financially sound background. His dad's a rickshaw driver and his mom is taking care of the home. Um, So when the matchmaker connects them, it seems like a decent fit, right? He seems like a nice guy. The family can give a dowry to him and he will marry their daughter. It is assumed that, like, there was some financial motivation for him in marrying this woman. Um, Her dowry was 720 grams of gold, a Suzuki sedan, and 500,000 rupees, which is $6,700. I want to be very clear. This is a cultural thing. Uh, I do not understand arranged marriage, but here we are. This is 2018 and this is happening. So after a year of marriage, you look confused. That was like her dowry? Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, okay. A Suzuki sedan. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. It's hard to talk about in a way that's like... Respectful? You know. Yeah, I'm trying to be respectful to different I know. cultural... No, I get it. And it's, it sits weird with you. It's okay that it sits weird with you. Right. That's right. okay. Because... They traded um, a husband for a Suzuki sedan. So after a year of marriage, they have a son together. But Siraj's family, they want some more money, you know. Um, So the Uther's family pays for appliances, cars, furniture, home renovation, fees for Siraj's sister's MBA. So, like, it feels a little bit in this story that I read, like, they were shaking them down or maybe that's culture like they're a part of our family now we support them we help them out mm-hmm. um they also gave siraj 107 dollars a month to help pay and support their daughter it's late 2019 siraj i don't think he's like the happiest in this relationship despite in spite of all the money he's getting and really their family is taking care of her she's just living with him and is her his wife so anyway it's late 2019 he's not the happiest in this marriage and he starts to get really into youtube videos of snakes he's like really into it he's like he's like there's this sick uh snake handler who like shows how to like interact with snakes and dangerous fucking snakes so february of 2020 siraj is like you know what i'm gonna buy this thing called a Russell's Viper from this guy for about $135, 10,000 rupees. And he's like, you know what? I think this snake, I'm going to try to kill my wife with this snake. <gasps> what a crazy fucked up thing. <laughs> it's so fucked up. 
So the next day, he puts the snake in a suitcase near the stairs or near a room. And he's like, Uther, do me a favor. Go grab my phone in the other room. So she's like, I'll grab the phone for you. So she goes in to grab the phone from him. And all of a sudden, she's like, what the fuck? There's a snake. She probably didn't say that. But she's like, ah, there's a snake on this fucking plane. No. So there's a snake in my boots. No, that's not what she said. She's like, there's a fucking snake. I'm not going in there getting your phone. So. Which is like, what a she screams, annoying. Runs away. I would be like, beyond it's not even like you're scared of him. It's like you're just fucking annoyed. You're like, really, dude? You let your snake Here's the out? thing. Fuck you. Here's the thing. I don't know if she knew that he had bought a snake and oh snake bites God, in India. Oh, secret snake? <laughs> Those things need like really, so really many, serious equipment. There's they're so not like, many jokes. They're not like having a cat that's like running around the house. It's like, well, you here's have the to thing. buy a I really think... fancy tank and like snake light. Or you don't, because I think he's using it as a way to off his fucking wife. So he bought the snake and then just put it in the house to kill her? Why does he think the yeah. snake's not going to kill him? The snake isn't I like, well, know. I owe you allegiance. Like, this <laughs> is a fucking the dumbest snake. plan. I, the, I'm serious. This is the dumbest plan I've ever heard. <laughs> so anyway, so that's attempt one, okay? And he's like, ah, oh, rats. Now, I want to be very clear. Snake bites in India are incredibly common. Um, I'm going to tell you the statistic right now. Um, let me see. Okay. Between the years of 2000 and 2019, there were 1.2 million snake deaths. That's a fuckload, In 19 dude. years. That's, that's crazy. a fucking ton. That's like car so accident like, level. That's nuts. It's insane. And the thing Why? is, is like, I they're think he, he's everywhere? trying to, they're just like in the, in the area. However, the Russell Viper, I believe I could be getting this wrong, but I believe the Russell Viper is like meant for swampland and it's a very dry, arid climate that they're in. So like, this isn't a naturally occurring snake in there. So it's a little like, dude, do your fucking research. So not anyway, only is he an so, asshole trying to kill his wife with a snake, he's, an, he's an asshole that bought a snake that's like, I'm extremely uncomfortable here, sir. By the way, there's two more. There's, I mean, the story gets worse. Okay. okay. So um, he tries to get her a surprise attack by this viper. Doesn't work. So he's like, uh, okay, March 2nd. He's like, I. he gives her a bowl of rice pudding that's laced with sedatives. So she's knocked out. Mm-hmm. And while she's asleep, he walks into the room. And he has his viper and he forces the viper to bite her. Now, this is a fucking poisonous snake Mm -hmm. and it hurts. It is a hurt poison. Like you don't just die peacefully with sedative. It was so painful that she wakes up from her sedative in excruciating pain. After some time, he's like, I'll bring her to the hospital. So Siraj takes her to the hospital. He puts the snake out of the house um, and he's like, here's my wife. She was bitten by a snake. She was doing laundry outside and the snake got her. And she, in her pain, she was like, I would never do laundry at night. That's just fucking dangerous. Like, I'm not She's an like, idiot. I don't have clear. a death wish. My husband gave me some funky tasting rice pudding. And then I woke up and with I, a snake bite. Yeah. Listen, she survives. It doesn't work. However, she's in the hospital for recovering from this snake bite for 52 days. Ooh. Oh, my God. 
That's, that's crazy. how intense it is. That's crazy. That's, that's how like intense this weeks. poison is. That's insane. That it is insanity. Whoa. So she gets out of the hospital, but while she's in the hospital, he's like, "Ah, my plan almost worked. Maybe I need something more intense." So he starts doing some searches for cobras. It's really, 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 really stupid that he's like, it didn't work. I'll get another snake and it will bite her. Exactly. Like it's like a lightning strike thing. I mean, I know we just talked about it being common, but at the same time, it's like she was just in the hospital with a snake bite. Dude, you don't think that people are going to think it's pretty fucking weird if she turns up a few right <laughs> after recovery with a different snake bite? Well, what's so insane to me is that like, okay, the idea of hurting anyone is deeply horrible flawed awful but to hurt someone and see them in pain and have them in the hospital for seven weeks recovering and to still be like i'd like to do that again like there's a cold place in hell for you like you're a monster you're a fucking monster and an idiot so she gets out of the hospital april 22nd and she goes to stay with her parents and she can't walk she's still in recovery okay May 6th, 15 days later, he comes to the house. He's got the cobra with him. He gives her a glass of juice with sedatives. And when she's asleep, he throws the cobra at her in bed. Now, what you need to know about snakes is they don't have a ton of venom or poison. So in that moment, a snake is not going to attack you unless provoked. She's sleeping. She's not provoking. He throws the cobra at her, slithers away. There's like no possibility that this like. So he has to. So he's like, "Mm, I'm still going to fucking. He grabs the cobra and he does that thing. Have you seen people like milk of snake? Have you seen that? Push the roof of their mouth. They're like push. Well, you push. Yeah, you like push the head forward and they latch on and bite. Right. Mm hmm. He does that to her body twice. She has two cobra bites. He stays to make sure the job is done. He washes the glasses. He um, removes, and the stick he used to pick up the cobra. He deletes his call history. She's dead. When her family finds her, Uther's brother finds the cobra kills it and buries it in the backyard. So she's pronounced dead. And at this point, the family's alarm bells are going off because they're not idiots. They're like, what the fuck is happening? Like, and of course it's ruled as an accidental death, like because it's a snake bite. And they're like, I'm not, I'm not convinced. So a week later, they call the police um, to say that they suspect it's her husband. Her parents said that there's a couple reasons why. And again, this is what makes this a challenging case to investigate because they are so common. And Mm -hmm. it's like, how do you prove that this was an accident? One, the timing of two snake bites back to back. They also said that Uther and her husband were sleeping in an air-conditioned room. And it would have been difficult for the Cobra to even enter the room without being detected. Like, The windows were closed. The doors were closed. Um, Also, they were like, this happens. Okay, wait, sorry. 
So so the police opens an investigation and then they start to gather some more evidence. Some of the evidence that they got was cobras are typically dormant at night. They do not bite at night. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that this happened past 8 p.m. is incredibly rare. Two, they saw the bite marks of the cobra. So they were able to dig up the snake's body and see the length. Now, cobras can only raise itself a third of its length. So getting into the room would have been impossible for this cobra unless it was assisted. The snake bites, the like marks on her body, the fangs were wider than they should have been. So typically when a snake bites, it like bites and retracts. But if you're milking it, if you're pushing it, they're wider. So they were able to prove that the snake was manipulated into biting her. Wow. Also, the fact that she didn't wake up from it. She did wake up from the viper bite. The snake butt bit her twice, and it is incredibly painful. It is excruciating. And the fact that she didn't wake up means that she had to have been drugged. There's no way Mm -hmm. she wouldn't have woken up. Mm -hmm. They also were able to investigate the snake's carcass as well as the fangs and all that stuff. But they noticed in the stomach, the snake had no food. Now, a snake's digestion usually takes about seven days and the fact that there was no food in there means that this snake had been starved and also this snake was in captivity and they know that because snakes in the wild will typically eat twice a day Mm -hmm. this had this snake had no food in its system and clearly it had been starved so they know it's in captivity they know that somebody had this and that wasn't this wasn't a naturally occurring bite So Siraj is like, well, I'm busted. So he eventually admits to drugging his wife and also starving the snake for 11 days in the hopes that the snake would be hungry. Death by snakes turns out to be a common way to kill people in some regions of India. And out of the 1.2 million in 19 years that have died, they believe 99.9% are accidental, as in like naturally occurring. However, I have to admit, I'm skeptical of that number at this point because I think it's so easy to do it that I I actually don't believe that 99.9 are accidental. I think people have been using this as a way to kill people for years. One of the ways that Siraj also got busted was that they looked at his call history. Of course, he like deleted his call history, which, you know, I don't think you can really delete that. But the person that he bought the snake from ended up looking in the newspaper and seeing the death of his wife. And he called him and he was like, what the hell happened? That and he's like, don't call me. me. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. Yeah. That guy bought a snake for me. And then they ended up. And then he and then Siraj. So he calls Siraj and Siraj is like, listen, I just can't. I can't live with my wife anymore. Um, and he was like, if we're both quiet, this is before he admitted to it, obviously. But he was like, if we're both quiet, we'll say she died by a. The, we can pass the death off as a serpent curse a serpent curse is a superstitious belief that cobras have the power to curse families who don't worship them so he's like banking on this to not get busted he also shockingly signed her up for a uh, life insurance policy two months before the death so the police end up arresting both men the seller and the husband and they end up getting the snake seller to testify against him in court Siraj's mom and sister in August of 2020 were arrested on charges of conspiracy, domestic violence, and destruction of evidence. His family was arrested for their role in this because apparently, like, they were abusive towards her. And that's a common practice is you can arrest 
members of the family for like allowing abuse and allowing that stuff to happen. So his family got in more trouble. He tries to plead not guilty in the court. But of course, all of these, all the evidence, all of the seller that he uh, that testified against him, like all this information, he was found guilty on four offenses, attempted murder and murder. Um, and he got two life sentences. And it's really incredibly rare that they were able to prove that he killed Uthra, but they were able to prove it and he's in jail. Uthra's son is now two years old and is living with her family. And they talk about they just want to make sure that her son knows who their mother was. And that is the story of Uthra and the death by a snake. Wow, that is a crazy fucked up story, man. That's nuts. Like, what a fucking... I mean, he really thought he would get away with it. Yeah, I guess he thought he was so smart. And he thought he would get away with it not once, but twice. Twice. I think if you live in a country where 1.2 million snake bite deaths in 19 years is an insane amount. Yeah. I believe it to be a more common method of murder than it's reported because it's so hard to prove. Yeah. I bet you're right. Um, On that note, and now, a word from our sponsors. Hi, we're Eliza, Allison, and Carlin, and we're the hosts of Resolve Mysteries Podcast. Our podcast follows the 80s and 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack. We have a love for true crime and the unsolved. If you don't remember Unsolved Mysteries, we forgive you, but you don't have to know to get into our show. If you like true crime stuff, ghost stuff, alien stuff, or just stories about weird shit like Bigfoot, this is your podcast. The stories we cover range from totally ridiculous to truly heartbreaking. We do detailed research on all of the segments that Unsolved Mysteries aired, then drink some wine and give you the latest updates on every case. We talk about stories that will leave you laughing, crying, and occasionally outraged. Resolved Mysteries podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite pods. Join us and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. We know you're here because you like listening to people tell stories. We have something super exciting to share with you. It is not a podcast. It is a musical novella called Love in Times of War. It's a beautiful story set to music. It is a 28-cut concept album with 14 spoken word narrations and 14 instrumentals that complement and evolve the story And you can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on Apple Music. You can buy the album. It is written and narrated by Beck Norman. The music is composed by James Keith Norman. It's a story of a pregnant young woman who's lost her lover in a war. And she sets out to raise her child until history repeats itself. It's engaging. It's impactful. It's also featuring Stephen Fry, which is pretty darn cool. But please go listen to Love in Times of War. It's a beautiful story set to gorgeous music, and you won't regret it. And we're back. Do you remember when I (laughs) saw Rattlesnake? Do you remember that footage of Ko and I were on a hike with my parents and there was a rattlesnake Um, I love that because Ko, wasn't Koa like, get out of there. Was Koa yelling at her? But your mom like spooked it. Well, we couldn't tell if it was Your mom looks like a superwoman in that. It was in the middle of our hike and we couldn't get past it and we couldn't tell if it was dead and it was right in the middle of the 
where we had to walk. And so we were throwing rocks near it to try to scare it and it wasn't moving. So we were like, okay, it's definitely dead. And then my mom threw a rock um, or got really close to it because our rocks were like not maybe close enough to scare it. And she got really close to it with her body and then threw a rock. And to be clear, we were not trying to hurt it. We were just throwing rocks near it to try to get it to slither away. Um, to skedaddle. Anyway, she threw a rock near it and it did rattled and jumped up and scared the shit out of all of us. Um, it was pretty Your scary. mom does look like a boss in that video, though, because she's like, yeah, I'm going to walk up to this rattlesnake. I was like, you know, my dad is a af- my dad's not afraid of much. Yeah. But he is afraid of snakes. He doesn't like snakes at all. No and he's shame afraid in, in a way that like he just doesn't like it. So's Indiana Jones. Remember Indy? He hates snakes. No, I've never seen it. Oh, I don't know why I ever even <laughs> talked to you about movies. No, I think I've seen it as a kid. Um, because my brother dressed up as Indiana Jones for Halloween one year, so I'm sure I was like on when my, you know when I was a kid. But I don't. I was so young, I really don't remember. Well, speaking of um Indiana Jones and snakes and all things um cuckoo crazy. I'm going to tell you some Sasquatch stories today. <gasps> yeah. Wow. Really exciting wow. stuff. Wildlife theme today. Uh-huh. Is our... My information is from the Daily Beast, Fox 2 Now, CNN, LA Times, History.com, Live Science. And then I watched a docu-series called Sasquatch on Hulu. And here's you heard what of it? you should know. There have been more than 10,000 eyewitness accounts of Sasquatch in the U.S. in the last 50 years. Okay? 10,000? Yeah, not only that, he's in our hood because most of those actually occur in the Northeast. Um, And there's also, it might be that he's in the Northeast because that's kind of also where the legends and the myths originate from. Um, And the word Sasquatch comes from Saskets, which is from the Halkomelem language used by the Salish first nationals people in southwestern British Columbia. Um, Got that info from the Oregon Encyclopedia, by the way. Anyway, it means wild man or hairy man. That's what Sasquatch means. Uh, Fun. We do know that there was an ape that was a biped that once lived on Earth. Like, that's true. And that he was, he, she, they were 10 feet tall and maybe up to 600 pounds. That's factual. So this comes Wait, from a place that of, like, is? this existed. Yeah, but, like, when did it exist? I don't know. A long time ago, man. Did you know that some people believe, like, obviously people don't believe that the dinosaurs roamed the Earth. Like, people are, like, dinosaur deniers. <laughs> and they think that scientists have, like, put together their fossils to make it look. Like, people, I've heard of people being like, yeah. People created a, the, the sketch for a dinosaur happened before we had any evidence of a dinosaur. And then they found bones and they put them together. I was like, you're saying that some archaeologist was like, I'm going to do an art project and try to recreate you're a fucking dinosaur. That somebody did a bone collage because that sounds they, pretty cool. They did a bone collage. So the British explorer David Thompson is somebody that a lot of people say was the first guy to see Sasquatch that happened in 1811, and it was footprints. Um, But there's been a bunch of footprints that people have seen since then. In 1884, 
that was the first time a newspaper anywhere published information about a sighting of a gorilla creature in the area. And that was in Canada. Oh, dang. But here's the thing. Let's talk about more recent times, because this was really interesting that I found out. In 1976, the FBI started a fucking file on him. A lot of people use that as that's clearly information that they're out there. Because why would the FBI start a file if they didn't have like really good reason to believe that there right. was Sasquatch? But the reason they started the file is that this guy, Peter Byrne, who was part of the Bigfoot Information Center and exhibition in Dallas, Oregon, sent the FBI hair and was like, can you check out? It's like a piece of skin with hair on it. And he was like, can you check this out and see where you think it came from? And because they agreed to analyze it, they had to start the file. Now, everyone's like, well, they analyzed it because they knew that there was like probability. They're kind of like, all right, settle down. We didn't send like helicopters to the neighborhood to patrol. We analyzed some hair. It was like not a lot of work. It's for us so much to chiller do. than what you're telling us. It's so much. Wait, chiller. I'm so confused though. It's on the northeast, which Oregon is in the U.S. Northwest. So what? Where's my confusion? No, no, he's everywhere. Listen, he's been seen everywhere. Don't start getting too okay. specific. I was just saying most of the sightings happen in the northeast. Thank you. Okay, cool. He's, he's all just wanted over. to just make sure I knew my directions because I know geography is not our strong no, suit, no, no, but no, I was no, like, no, I no, let no, it be no, known. No, 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 no. A lot of this story is going to be about Bigfoot hanging out in California, so drop it. Um, in fact, you know what? Let's do this. I'm going to go so through. drop it. Just drop it, Carrie. So Fucking drop, drop it. <laughs> or I'm going to stick a snake on you. <gasps> No, not a viper cobra or not not a viper, a Russell viper or a cobra. Not a Russell viper. All right. Let's talk about hoaxes because obviously hoaxes be hoaxing. Hoaxers be hoaxing. And in 1958, there's this guy, Ray L. Wallace. And he's like, oh, you guys, I found some serious footprints of this guy. It's by a California logging camp. And then he dies in 2003 and his kids are like hey everybody our dad faked those footprints he had a truck he like made a fake foot and had a truck drive him slowly so that he could place them really far apart so it looked like the gate was really wide oh my god yeah smart then smart in 1967 there's was famous Sasquatch footage captured, which you've probably seen before. It's like Sasquatch walking and he like turns and looks at the people filming him and yes. he keeps walking. Um, that footage. You're was, telling me that's not real? I don't want to break your heart, but here's what I know about it. <sighs> it's too late. My Roger heart's broken. Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin were the guys that filmed that. And they said they were out for like 20 days looking for Bigfoot and then got that footage. Bob Hieronymus who is like a guy that was friends with them and neighbors is like, oh yeah. They were like, do you want to make a thousand dollars for 10 minutes of work? And they gave me this costume and that's me. And I kept it a secret for 35 years. But now I'm telling you that that was me. And Bob Gimlin's like, no way. It's definitely not him. And in fact, he's not a very tall guy. He's really short. And if you look at the footage, you can tell it's a tall Sasquatch. Anyway, they're not friends anymore. I'm really sad to report. 
They are neighbors and they sometimes do ways, but not friends. They're neighbors yeah, yeah. still? Rough, right? I mean, listen. Awkward. In 2008, a car salesman named Rick Dyer and a police officer named Matt Witten said to everybody, we found a dead Sasquatch. It's like seven foot seven, 500 pounds. And we were hiking in Georgia in the mountains and we found him. And they show people that they have his body in a freezer, like the carcass. And people are witness them showing something that is like big and hairy and frozen in this freezer. And people write on the website, like, I saw this thing with my own eyes. Um, and they're like, yeah, yeah. And we saw live ones too. They had to admit later that it was a costume that they stuffed with roadkill and slaughterhouse leftovers, probably to make it seem extra real, like stinking stuff, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, the Ugh. cop got fired because obviously and his boss was like if he lies on national tv and then later he needs to go to court they're gonna cite this as a reason not to believe him we can't really have him be a cop anymore anyway they got in really big trouble they were trying to make money i think but they got in big trouble for this speaking of getting into trouble 2012 this guy in montana randy lee tenley who's 44 puts on a ghillie suit. Do you know a ghillie suit? I do. Okay. He puts on a ghillie suit, which for those of you that don't know, looks crazy. It's like camouflage, but it has like fake almost moss and net on it so that it looks like a crazy creature from another world. I don't even think it looks like Bigfoot personally. It just looks nuts. He put on a ghillie suit and ran into the highway. What a fucking... Oh, anyway. Idiot. A teenage girl hits him with her car. And then another, (gasps) this is very bizarre, but I read, and then another teenage girl hits him with their car. Basically, he traumatized and ruined the lives of two teenage girls because he died. The reporting officer on this said, this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Really? Oh, those poor girls. Oh, Jesus. So I want to tell you about the movie. So I watched like this three-part series. And what was really interesting about it is it focuses on a story of this guy, David Holthouse, mostly. And David Holthouse tells a story about his own life uh, growing up that I recognized right away. And I think it's because he's told it on The Moth, which is this really, really sad story. It's so sad. It's about how when he was seven... He and his family moved to Alaska with another family that his dad works for this company and so does the other dad. So the parents are friends and they're hanging out at the house and the other family's kid is like 10 years older, is like 17 and they're having dinner and he takes him to the basement to show him karate stuff and he ends up brutally raping him. The 17 year old rapes the seven year old boy. And I remember the, story's really interesting because he grows up and he realizes he now lives in Colorado and so does the guy that raped him, he finds out. And he decides he's going to kill him. And he buys a gun and he buys a silencer and he's going out and practicing and, you know, shooting. And 
he's like, I'm not going to let this guy do this to somebody else. So he decides to kill this guy. (gasps) He plans to kill him. No one will know it's him because he's never told anybody. He buys a gun. He tries it out with a silencer. He's seriously planning to murder his attacker. And then he finds out that his mom has discovered a journal from when he was 10 where he wrote about the rape happening. So she knows it's happened. He never wanted her to know. And she's devastated. She ends up calling the guy's family and being like, this happened. I know you have grandkids. I would hate, you know, I I, I don't know if they're in danger. I want you to know this happened to my son and I don't ever want to speak to you again. Don't call me. Don't send me a Christmas card. Um, I, You're dead I'm to me. severing all ties. You're dead to me. Uh, and as a result, he now is like, I guess I'm not going to be able to murder my attacker because people would know. He calls his attacker and is like, you should come meet me. I want to talk to you. The guy is like, fesses, like admits to what he does. There's no element of denial or anything. But David's basically like, why did you do this to me? And the guy's like, I don't know. I've thought about it forever. I've regretted it. I've never done it to anyone else, which who knows if that's true or not. But any sort of resolution that was going to be had is had. And I remember hearing this story on the moth and being like, wow, I don't know. It was very emotional, honestly. Um, And kind of an amazing story in how honest David is. And he goes on to become a journalist. And when he's 31, he goes undercover. When he's 31, he goes undercover as a skinhead. He does all these things. And now he's helping make this Sasquatch movie that is actually a Dupless brother film. Oh. And they interview um, a bunch of people. And one of the interviews I really liked that I wanted to share with you was that they talked to a guy that says that he thinks Sasquatch has a musty, nice smell when she's in her moon cycle and she's looking for love. Well, that's just, you know what? And that's that's um, evolution, you know, Darwin. I hope people dis- describe me that way. I do too, frankly. I do too. It's really romantic. There was also an interview that stuck out that there was this retired cop talking about how one night he saw Sasquatch and smelled him and he was covered in dreadlocks and wading through water and he heard Sasquatch and it sounded like a banshee. And why that interview stuck out is this cop is shaking while he's telling it and tearing up, like crying. He's so scared just talking about it. I, that, I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, is the, you know, is Sasquatch going to be tuning in to the Hulu show to see. Just, and coming after him. Does Sasquatch I mean, I think have a Hulu is, account? I mean, that's the question. I and how can I is, get on it? That's the fear. Um, what's your password, Sasquatch? <laughs> Write us at trulydarklycreeply at gmail.com. Um, so here's how David ends up being interested in Sasquatch. When he's in his early 20s, he goes and works on a weed farm in Mendocino. And uh, a lot of people say that Sasquatch is out there because Sasquatch loves getting stoned and there's all these 10 foot tall plants he can just grab the buds off of and eat. But Sasquatch likes the same kind of land weed growers like. It's lush, it's near water, it's kind of isolated. Um, So in fall of 1993, David goes to work on a weed farm with his friend. He drives up there. It's in this town, Brancombe, or near it. They, They meet in Brancombe and he follows his friend down these crazy back roads and it gets freakier and deakier and they get to the weed farm. And the next day 
he's hearing all the people that work on the farm talk about Sasquatch and how Sasquatch is hanging out there and he's thrown rocks at people and charged people. And he's kind of not thinking too much of it. He kind of thinks it's a hazing for his benefit. Like, oh, I get it. I'm the new guy now. Totally. These guys are going to tell stories about Sasquatch to freak me out. Totally. And make me edgy. That night... They're hanging out with the guy that owns the weed farm and smoking. And the guy that owns the farm gets a call and he's being like, oh, just keep him mellow. And then these two guys arrive that he had been on the phone with in a truck. They're muddy and they're wet and it's raining and they're freaked the fuck out. Their eyes are as big as saucers. They're probably on drugs as well. And they're like, no, the plants are still there. He just threw them around. They're scattered, but no one stole anything. And there are three guys that are torn to shreds what? and mangled and Bigfoot killed them. He is stoned, David is. And I think he's just like, I don't totally get what's happening. Maybe they're still trying to mess with me, but I my mellow is harsh. I'm freaked out. But as he gets older and he looks back on this day, he can't kind of get it out of his head. This thing that happened, was it real? And had he misremembered it? So now as an adult, he wants to investigate it. And he ends up reaching out to his friend and saying, you remember all those years ago when we worked on this farm? Did I remember this night, right? Did it happen? His friend's like, yeah, it happened. So he starts trying to find missing person's reports that will match up with it in Mendocino. And that's a dead end. But he's running around asking questions and he comes in contact with a guy named Razor, who was raised by Hell's Angels and has been a cannabis grower for decades. Love that. He asks him, do you know anything about this story? And he doesn't give dates. And the guy right away is like, oh, I think it was three Mexican nationals and here's the year and here's the season. And he's right about the timeline. And he's like, well, where did it happen? And the guy's like, Spy Rock Road. And that checks out geographically with where he might have been. And here's the thing about Spy Rock Road. Everybody's like, oh, Spy Rock Road. There's a rock there that has ancient mystic petroglyphs. And that's why maybe Sasquatch. I don't love the argument that Sasquatch is uh, mystical in any way. Because I think... If Sasquatch exists, Sasquatch is an animal. It's a giant ape. It's, I liken it more to discovery of a giant squid and being surprised by things we haven't come in contact with in nature before. Not an alien and not magic. I don't think Sasquatch is Chewbacca. Yes, but at the same time, how do you explain the musty smell in the moon cycle? Sounds like an animal to me. They're not saying um, Sasquatch was shooting lasers out of his fingers and anally probing people. (laughs) But that would be cool if they were. David hires a PI and gets a message from the PI amidst all this uh, digging deep that says, I feel morally and ethically bound to warn you that you're venturing into dangerous territory. Unlike you, I live here and have a family to protect. Please be careful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So so Sasquatch has a list. Sasquatch has a kill I mean, list. Or is it cartel that's crazy. vibes? <laughs> no, exactly. It's got to be cartel vibes because Spyrock also happens to be tons of murders, tons of shooting, tons of like people have hung someone. It's a really racist area. It's a really dangerous area. 
because of all the drugs. Um, and they are talking about how as far as dealing with your neighbors, if you can't instill respect, you instill fear. And so people are doing that on every level. It's hippies, but it's hippies that are packing heat. And that's they the definition of hippie the... Michigas. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> they also talked about how there's booby traps all over the place, right? Because all these people have these weed farms, so they have like fishing wire with hook eyes on it. Oh, Jesus. With fishing hooks at eye level, I mean. So they, I mean, it's scary. And the DA's war on drugs created all this paranoia for them. People end up, uh, because they're afraid of police or each other, they end up taking amphetamines to stay awake 24-7 and guard their farms. Jesus Christ, that's horrible. That That sounds miserable. And then some people got taken to jail, arrested, and did time and came back and they're not the same. So it's a it's a, somebody on the documentary said it's deep picture. It's desocialized living. So people have been desocialized that are there and they don't know how to handle themselves. Wow. And the guy that that talked about came into the farm that night and said Sasquatch killed these guys, but he can't find the guy. He can't get the first hand account of what happened. They end up talking about other unsolved murders that have happened there. There was a guy named Hugo Olia Lopez that was killed in 2013. He was a guard and someone killed him uh, by shotgun through a tent. And they hear rumors that it was an order from a really powerful grower. And they keep mentioning a name of the guy that did it, but they bleep it out in the documentary. They won't even say it. It feels like there's like, yeah, it's very scary. And they're like, oh, well... We think maybe these same people were related to the death you're looking for. What we think is that they got a girl maybe strung out and then raped her and they raped the wrong guy's daughter. And that guy killed the people you're talking about. They end up trying to find informants and people will just hang up on them when they mention the murder. Just hang up. Like, they'll be like 19... They'll be talking. And then they'll be like, what about 1993, this triple murder? Click. Okay, so not Here's Sasquatch an cartel. Here's an angle he approaches with it. There is a guy, a local, that goes by the name Bigfoot Gary. <laughs> what if they were saying Bigfoot killed these people <gasps> and that's what they meant? Oh, He's been shit. growing there for 40 years. Oh, shit. Okay. They start interviewing people and a lot of people paint this guy in a light of it was him and he hired the guy with no name. Not to be confused with Arya Stark. Yes. To do this. Jesus. Okay. Okay. So there's an informant that's like, yes, these men raped Bigfoot Gary's daughter. So he had these men killed they end up talking finally to this guy's wife who's like look my husband's a dick so i i get why there's rumors but he didn't do this they end up talking to bigfoot gary and he's like i didn't have a daughter in 1993 jesus and he didn't so it becomes this thing of like it's just folklore game of telephone that's just been passed down unsolved murders that they keep running into and non-reported murders of people that were there illegally hired to do work on these farms so it is really hard for him because he'll be like 
do you happen to know of a murder that was covered up? And he'll meet somebody and they'll be like, yes, I do. And they'll tell a whole story and it won't be this murder. So he just kept It'll uncovering different, different murders, which is I'm very inclined to believe that it's just cartel, not Sasquatch. Yes. So finally, he ends up getting in touch with the guy he worked for, the other person that was in the room when all this went down, right? Yeah. And that guy is like, first, I just want to say no names. And he's really intimidating and scary. And he ends up being like, I'll tell you what that murder was. And it really happened. And it was true. A group of us got together. He didn't say us. He said a group of sort of elders or people that were powerful and owned farms in the area got together and agreed. Again, it's a really racist atmosphere there. They agreed that the Mexicans were taking over farms. What would happen is enough Mexicans would get employed on a farm that they would become a majority and they could take over the farm from the person that lived there and intimidate them out. Oh, wow. And be like, it's our farm now. They said that that was happening. And so they wanted to scare them and regain control. So they agreed that they were going to start rumors about Sasquatch. And then they were going to make those three men examples of. And they staged a Sasquatch murder by killing them brutally with bolt cutters, pickaxes. No. And using forklifts to screw up the land well, around them. See, now them. you're just maligning Bigfoot, all... Sasquatch. And that's bullshit. Don't don't make this poor animal Basically, a scapegoat. Sasquatch was framed yes. for the murder. And they purposefully had those guys. He says those guys that found the dead men that night were the guys we wanted to find the dead men. That was done deliberately because they were tweakers and gossips and they were going to run around telling everybody what they had seen. And we wanted it to circulate. So this guy is admitting that he killed them on a TV show? No, the guy says, were you involved in this decision? And he says, no comment. So, yeah, he isn't. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. And so that's the that's basically the very fucked up crazy roller coaster ride that was this Sasquatch documentary, which is basically, do you want to hear a story about Sasquatch getting framed for murder? Whoa, that's incredible. Thank um, you for watching and, and sharing that with me. That's pretty much all I have to say. I mean, I just want to say that more the more recent sightings of Sasquatch, um, there was one in 2018 in Mark Twain National Forest. They saw some. They saw Sasquatch basically walk across a road to get to the other side. Okay. <laughs> and in 2022, surprise, surprise, more people saw him. I gotta say, every time somebody sees them, they're usually part of um. In this case, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. Mm. So they're de- they've dedicated their life to trying to find Bigfoot, and, and then they, they find him is what, and that's so great for them. Um, <laughs> congrats! That's hilarious. It does feel like anytime you read about somebody that saw Bigfoot, they've also spent their whole life looking. Um, mm. So what's you the know, correlation? Take that, take that for, for what, what it is. is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's all we can do is take that for I what it is. I think it's a happy ending for that person is what it is. I mean, my God, wouldn't you be so excited if you spent your whole life trying to do something and then you succeeded? What a mitzvah. Maybe. What Maybe unless I was on my moon cycle and then I might be just grouchy anyway. Speaking of which, I don't feel well right now. Well, 
you your timing's impeccable because um, you have to go. I think that's all the time we have for today. That's all the time we have for today. Dear readers, we love you. We'll talk to you soon. Join Patreon. Dear readers, look out for Sasquatch, look out for snakes, and look out for each other. Ooh, good work. Mm-hmm.